0: You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept doing
1: this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space.
0: Welcome to another episode of the two bucks podcast. I'm your host Brian Krebs and today I have Dustin Clark. Now Dustin and I kind of we just met officially but Dustin was a guest on our other podcast before I became the host on the Western Rookie because he is an avid houndsman out west and chasing bears and cats from what dan's told me and but you also have a business cold strike for houndsman gear and so i wanted to have you on this podcast to talk about that but how are you doing today dustin i'm doing well doing really well thank you yeah thanks for being here um yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I feel like I knew so much about you before we even met because I listened to the entire podcast you did with Dan, talking about the story, um, talking about being out there together. He he talked our ears off in the truck all the whole way down to New Mexico about chasing cats. How he he just had the best time ever, and I don't know what it is about about it, but you know, it's different. It, like it's 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 considered hunting, but it's it's it's. There's something about it that's definitely different, whether you harvest the cat or not. And I know a lot of times you said you don't even harvest them anymore, but doesn't it feel different? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, houndsmen are definitely
1: a different breed, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, honestly, I spend more time
0: with dogs than I do with people, and it, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, aside from your family, I'm sure, like, most weeks, all you see is your dogs and your family. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's it's I, I mean, like mentioned before, I don't kill the cats. I mean, I've I've never even personally killed a lion myself. I've seen them die for, you know, with some clients and stuff that I've helped out and stuff. But for me, it's it's just truly about watching my dogs work and watching my dogs grow and seeing what I can take out of an eight week old puppy that I get and turn it into a dog over the next four or five
0: years and see what I can make out of that dog. Wow yeah that's in a way it's kind of similar to me and my dog because I have a shed dog and so you know we're not going out there in a harvesting game I mean I do bring them out pheasants in the fall but the real thing is finding antlers so I can kind of see some correlations there between it's like a non-consumptive use right
1: oh yeah yeah like I'm I'm pretty much like a fisherman I catch and release yeah
0: 90 percent of the time catch a tiger by the tail huh yep <laughs> a time a time or two <laughs> I, before we get too far into the business or like the entrepreneur side i gotta ask you so when i was listening to the podcast if i heard it right you said there's often times that one of your dogs can get above the cat in the tree and then you have to i mean that's kind of what i was going to ask you about what you have to go through to get that dog out yep so I've tried to train my dogs away
1: from that, that tree climbing's not okay. But yeah, back, back when I first started, I had a few that were horrible. If they could get to those first limbs, they were climbing that tree and then they don't know when to stop. So half the time they're either right below the lion face to face with it, or they're above it. And from there, if you can't holler them down, you're climbing up within five, six feet of this line while it's in a tree and shimmying past it, trying to get up to your dog and then carry your dog down the tree.
0: That has got to be one of life's like most adrenaline filled moments, oh it it can be for sure I mean for the most
1: part, they don't want anything to do with you, but you get in their bubble they get a little they get a little pissed off
0: well and and I'm assuming you're not gonna probably get into it deep enough to have like your life be threatened in the middle of a tree, but that doesn't mean I want to get swatted by a mountain lion either. <laughs> no no
1: i don't either i mean and there's been a few times when i've had to go past one that they'll bluff at you and jump and hiss and that's enough to get you going for a minute to question whether or not that dog's worth
0: it to keep climbing or or not yeah besides the fact that you're climbing a tree
1: without a harness
0: i'm sure because you're not packing one of those around and so you're already like kind of on the edge of being in danger um and then this thing bluffs and hisses at you i feel like it'd be pretty easy to just (laughs) fall out of the tree it yeah
1: pretty dang easy if you don't have good footing you're going down anyway when they bluff you because you'll jump (laughs)
0: well and a lot of times i assume it's snowy conditions when you're doing this right oh yeah yeah yep so that's is are you only doing dogs and and actually on animals during the snow or do you do i think what's called is it called dry land dry dry ground dry ground okay Yep.
1: I do both. Yeah. For lions. And then when we're running our bears, it's all dry ground. There's,
0: there's no snow when we're running bears. Okay. Are you doing, are you take, are you taking a couple of bears and then when you do the bears, ah, for the most part, I still just do catch and release
1: when I do work for a couple outfitters, we'll kill a few for clients, but I just spent the whole month of July hunting four to five days a week, just catching and releasing bears all month. Just having
0: fun. Wow. That's crazy. What do you do to fill the freezer though? Yeah. ah elk and deer yeah i was gonna say catching and release <laughs> sounds fun until it's dinner time and you're hungry <laughs> yeah Yo, yeah i yeah i still eat. we live on primarily
1: elk we buy beef a little bit deer we'd like to make jerky and other things out of but
0: yeah yeah I, i'm the when same I
1: finally owner. when i finally decide to actually shoot a mountain lion when that day comes i'll eat it i'll try it at least i know a lot of people love it it's a different i mean i've skinned enough of them and they stink that I don't know that I want to eat it, but people say they love it and it's a white meat like pork. It's not a red meat.
0: Yeah, I just had Eric Bethune on the podcast on the other on the Western Rookie and he did a mountain line and he, he does guided hunts and he saves up a bunch and then he'd do it one time and so he wants to get the most out of it and so he said, I, I'm gonna eat this thing. And his guides mm-hmm. are like, What are you talking about, the meat? Like we don't take the meat. And he's like, No, I wanna take the meat, like we gotta figure this out. And he said that it was delicious. He said it had he said it had the texture and the look of pork, but the taste of beef. Really? Yeah. So I'm sure there's good I'm sure there's ways. To make it taste amazing, and there's ways you could butcher it and hack it up and just not do it justice, and it tastes terrible too. And so you probably want to be a good, pretty good wild game chef before you dig into it. Make sure you cook it warm enough. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. And and I can say I have guys that say they love it, and it's the same thing like with the bears out here. Our bears definitely don't get the diet that these bears that are back east get. They're not. Living in cornfields or living off bait piles. We got desert bears that eat roots and berries and live a hard life. So a lot of the guys out here worry about trichinosis really bad with the bears. So a lot of times you don't see them take the meat off the bears here either.
0: Yeah, but I've heard mountain bears taste better than eastern baited bears. Could
1: be. The only bear I've ever eaten has been bear that came from
0: Wisconsin, and it was pretty good. Well. I think you just got to try it. I think, I mean, I have never had bear, so I can't, I just, I'm, I'm just reiterating yep. what people say, but yeah. I just need to go try. I need to go shoot an Eastern bear. I need to go shoot a mountain, spring mountain bear, <laughs> and then I can compare. Um, yeah, there you go. That'd be the way to do it. So I'm a curious. Now I'm curious. You've never, you've treated a ton of cats. I mean, I don't know what the numbers were, but you're talking about it in the show. Like, it's a fair amount every year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you're doing this to like, yeah, I'm waiting until I tree my first cat. Like you you're in it. You've been doing it a long time. It's oh, yeah. you got the system down. Like if there's a good track, that cat's going to end up in a tree. Yeah. And so, what are you looking for to harvest your first cat? Is it an experience or is it a specific animal?
1: Honestly, I just don't have the desire. I like them. I like them too much being able to catch them and I know if I kill one, that's one less one that I get to go catch the next day. Um, but truly, I mean, I've had a tag in my pocket once and I think I hunted that unit two days out of the whole
0: season,
1: (laughs) but it would have to be like a monster, (coughs) monster Tom for me to consider killing it just because those are getting few and far between. And if, uh, if that one presents itself, I would probably do it just because the days of those where I live are starting to slowly diminish for sure.
0: Are you are you in Utah? Am I, I am that in Utah. out of okay, I, I pulled that out of a hat by chance. Um so did you I'm sure you saw the cat that Derek Wolf found in Colorado? Yeah. So is that is that what we're talking about? Like if you were a yeah, six though. foot eight NFL lineman and this cat still <laughs> looks bigger than you, that's the one you're looking for.
1: Yep. Yeah, looking for a big one. Okay. You know, and, and I've killed bobcats. I kill a few every year and I have a dream of killing a lynx one day but I just truly have a love for the lions that I'd just rather just leave them in a tree so I know
0: I can go catch them tomorrow I suppose if you did come across like a big old tom very territorial maybe ideally he's on like the fringes of humanity so he's kind of a problem cat anyway and he needs to kind of go that's probably the you know he's already too old like he's probably not going to Help the population much anymore. He's done his service, right? That's probably yep. the situation you're looking for, not the, you know, the two year old. I don't know what the opposite of a tom is, but the opposite of a tom, a female. The female. We yeah, just call them females. You yeah. don't want to call. You don't want to get the young female, right? Because that's no. That's no, how you build the herd. The, oh, definitely, and the size difference.
1: I mean, if you're looking at a, at a trophy aspect, I mean, killing a female that's eighty
0: pounds versus a 150 hundred fifty pound tom is a big difference. I don't want to butcher the details, but I thought I heard the one Derek shot was like in the high one hundreds field dressed. Could be, which is a big,
1: big lion for sure. I mean, in every state's got a little bit different. Some can live longer in other states. I know
0: his was in definitely.
1: Colorado. Yeah, and definitely you get up across the border into you know BC and Canada, and that they definitely grow a little bigger up there.
0: Yeah. That would be fun. Can you imagine if they did hounds in Africa and put, like, they lions? They Do Do they put them up in trees then, like the same not, system?
1: Not on lions, but they do on the jaguars. Wow.
0: Have it, do you have it's, any desire to go over there and try that? I mean, you probably wouldn't that, bring your dogs, but.
1: No. Yeah, if I go to Africa, that'll probably be the only thing I do over there. It, it's not cheap, but they do, and they say that those those jaguars are just freaking – like they're mean. They'll them dogs will get it in a tree and they say as soon as you get there you have to shoot it cuz if it sees you before you see it, it's coming out of the tree at you. It doesn't give a crap about those dogs.
0: Oh wow. Yeah, it's everything <laughs> over there's different. That's for sure. <laughs> the, oh yeah. Everything over there's different. So so did the did the houndsmen start before Cold Strike or did Cold Strike start first and then it pivoted into To align with your houndsman journey no
1: no the hounds started first i've been running hounds for the better part of 16 years now and cold strike i think we're going on close to year in between year three and four
0: okay okay so you i could assume one could like look at this and be like oh makes sense but is cold strike a product of necessity in a way like you got into houndsman and running hounds so much that you just really decided what you like for gear, what works for you. And then you're just like, I can't find it. So I'm going to make it myself.
1: That's, that's how we started for sure. Yes. And it was, it was a decision between me and my wife as we all started hunting together a lot more and stuff. And it really was kind of just a, a pain that she had that she couldn't quite find stuff she wanted. And it ended up being, it was pants, you know, like good pants for them that she wanted to still you know look like a woman in the woods look good but be comfortable and so that's where we started and what we have now is just kind of a byproduct of that cuz the pants was such a pain going through covid that we mm. haven't quite re- haven't quite recovered from that to get back to those yet so it was it was a nightmare all in itself going through covid when we were trying to design a pair of hunting pants
0: yeah yeah i suppose with like shipments and samples and everything's getting messed up but Oh, so okay. you do both elk and, and hounds. So yep. is there a, like explain it to someone that only does the elk. Is there a pretty strong need for a different pair of pants when you're doing hounds? Like um, Are you busting more brush and just the country you're going through? It's just different. It can be a little bit
1: different, but also I don't
0: need camo. Oh yeah. I suppose that's a big part of like, you don't have to yeah. pay for camo. No. Yeah. I don't,
1: I don't need the camel patterns. I don't need that to be able to do what I'm going to do. By the time I get to that tree, that bear or lion knows I'm coming a long time before that. <laughs> <laughs> they got eight to 10 barking dogs below them. They're not going to care if they hear me coming through the brush.
0: Okay. So you're just doing like a good pair. I assume like a four way stretch breathable yep. fabric, or it may be more insulated if you're really in the cold, but Just a pair of pants that just works great for this. And yeah, you could probably make something else fit, but. Yeah, you can. And there's a few little
1: things that we've added on, like as far as Houndsman, like a, a D ring that you can clip leashes to. So they're not swinging back and forth as you're walking in and just a little bit different way. The pocket slides for your GPS and just a couple little tweaks that make it a little different versus just your, you know, run of the mill, other pants from those bigger
0: companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we had um, Pike Gear on the podcast, and they were an Upland brand. And so they mm-hmm. said, yeah, like, you could wear a pair of blue jeans or you could wear, like, a pair of Sika pants. But a lot of our customers are like, I don't want to wear my Sika pants because I'm busting sage all day, and I just wear them out in, like, two days or they last me seven years elk hunting. Yep. And so he's like, we just make a really nice stretchy pair of durable double panel pants to wear for your pheasant hunting. And then, like you said, they, you know, everyone's got a shock collar. You know, we don't have the big GPS units, but everyone's yep. got a whistle. Everyone, like, here's a pouch for your dog's water bladder or your water, you know, all these different things that are just really small. that you'd, Like, you don't really think about probably the first time you go pheasant hunting, yeah. but all of a sudden you're like, man, this is something I'm always, like, just shoving in my pocket. And I suppose yeah, it's probably the same for hounds. I never run hounds other than my shed dog. But you're just like, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to add what I need. I'm going to make it the way yeah. I want. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the same thing we do with our, G- our leather
1: GPS harness that holds your GPS. Instead of trying to shove it in a cargo pocket or in this pocket or clip it to your belt, we just have a pouch that's hooked on a harness to you that you just shove it in. It's right there on your chest. And when you need it to look where you're going or whatever, it's quick and easy and you're not losing it because those things aren't cheap to lose.
0: Yeah, I imagine not. And it's not only if you lose it, you got to replace it. But if you're not necessarily close to your dogs and you lose it, now you're doing it the old school way.
1: Yep. Yeah, you're going finding tracks and following tracks until you can hear them. I've been there before. (laughs) The technology will fail sooner or later.
0: We just bought 40 acres, and I'm afraid of letting my dog run the 40 acres because it's a pure swamp, and I'm worried I'll lose them. I can't imagine turning dogs out in the mountains, and oh, yeah. bringing them home every time.
1: Yep, yeah, uh, it's and back in the day, they they didn't always bring them home. Sometimes those dogs would spend a few days on the mountain before they found their way out. These these new GPS collars they've been running are pretty pretty dang handy for sure. Like I can say where a dog's at, what way he's going it they'll tell me if it's barking, it'll tell me if they're sitting in one place long enough to consider it treat it's there. And they're also a shock collar in the same collar. Okay. I I, I can tone and vibrate the dog just the same or use, you know, shock if we need to all in the same collar.
0: Okay. So once you made the decision with your wife that like, Hey, we're going to do this, we're going to make this work for us. We're going to design all these products that are really meant for a houndsman or a houndswoman. That part seems like the most daunting part when you not do mm-hmm. it when you do it for the first time. It's like every all the thought and planning and the decision to just do it seems huge, and then once oh, you yeah. make it, it like now it's like oh crap. Now the real work starts. So how do you go about making designing a pair of pants? Like what was the pro- like if anyone's out there wants to do an apparel company, like what does that process look like? So when we first started, the pants were were there. But we hurried and
1: jumped pretty quick into figuring out some t-shirts and some hats and a couple other things like that just to get some cash flow going. Mm -hmm. So we weren't just straight diving into designing these pants without having the business get up and going and get a name out there. But once we did that, it was just a lot of cold calls to companies. And finally, we just had someone that reached out to us and said, hey, these guys would be great. They're not far from your house as far as a sew shop. And then from there, we were able to get a hold of them, slowly go through the process of um, designing the pants itself and making um, our prints and things like that. And then from there, it was, well, you got a bulk order fabric, and then you got to source your buttons. You got to source your zippers. You got to source your stitching. You got to, like, you have to source (laughs) way more than I ever thought. Like, I was like, oh, we're just going to make a pair of pants. This will be sweet, simple. We'll be into it. By the time her and I were sourcing everything with even the pocket liners, you got a source and just all this stuff. And we had to test them out, order them in custom buttons and everything like that. By the time that came through, I was like, did we make the right decision? (laughs) And and after that, it was great, but it was definitely a big, big learning curve. Like I was like, Oh, we'll have this done in a month. And a year later, we finally were able to get through and get our first samples. And then you got your first samples and you're like, Oh, this is so not what I want. (laughs) (laughs) But, but from there we just kept tweaking and working. And what really hit us is like, right. When COVID got nasty, we were like one, one revision away from being able to finalize them and print and uh, like do a run of them. And COVID hit, We didn't quite get that revision done. They lost people that were able to do what we needed them to do. And it just like took the wind right out of the sails right there. Cause it left us having to find a whole another shop to try and pick up where we were left off, but also other shops want to design their own patterns to make your pants because they don't want to deal with the patterns that someone else made. They kind of want to just, so that means start all the way over again. Right. And so while we, while we were dealing with that with COVID and stuff like that, we were just like, ah, we're just going to have to put them on hold for a little while. Yeah. And so slowly, slowly, I've been reaching out to a few shops trying to feel them out, see if they'll let us use our patterns. Cause we've already paid for revised made these patterns ours the way we want them. But a lot of shops just, don't want you to bring existing patterns, they want you to go through their process so they know that the patterns
0: will work for them. Mm. So it's been yeah. difficult that way, yeah. I can definitely see the challenges there. I mean, I get it on both sides almost. Like, I get that they're like, dude, like, we've had so many people bring their perfect pattern in, and it's just a disaster, but on the same time, you're like, dude, like, I've like we went a long ways on this pattern. Like I'm pretty sure as long as you're putting thread and needles through fabric, it's going to work. Can we just try it out once and see what happens? And (laughs) exactly. Well, and it's like, I mean, you talk at it like a
1: business standpoint too. Like I've already dropped X amount of dollars into all of these patterns and you want me to go do that all again. Right. And for, you know, for a small business startup like that, that's, that's hard. That's huge.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times you're, I mean, a lot of the people I talk to, these things are like bootstrapping on the side. You know, like yeah. my beard oil business, I just took like $300 cash out of my checking account, dumped it in a business checking, and th- that went off. Like, I didn't take out a loan. I didn't have like, you know, I wasn't a trust fund entrepreneur by any means. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I remember I was trying to buy a picture for my website. And I started with this $300 and I'm like, I'm trying to build this website and there's this picture of this bull. I can't remember his name. I think it was like Bruno or Brutus out in RMNP giant bull with a huge thirds. Everyone's seen him on Instagram. He was like the King of Instagram for like three years running. Um, And I reached out a photographer and I asked him if I could do it. He's like, yeah, that's fine. They're a hundred bucks a pop. And I'm like, oh man, like I'm (laughs) not saying your prices are high. I'm just saying I can't afford them because this is like a bootstrap business. And I'm like, I'll come back when I have the money. And he's like, oh, I'll give you a deal. And he gave me a heck of a deal on it. But, like, I've been there. I mean, obviously yeah. not to the point of, of, like, ordering ordering bulk inventory on fabrics or ordering all these prints and designs. But, like, a lot, it's common. Like, I don't, I don't think I've interviewed one person that said, yeah, I had a ton of money sitting around, so I started this business
1: yeah no no it was it was a grind for a while you know we were trying not to go in debt while you're doing it and it just i mean like our first fabric order we had to order in bulk and it was it was eight grand just in fabric that's not cut that's just rolls of fabric that we had to get across seas to here with the right color and everything
0: (laughs) man it seems like there's an opportunity for like small shop stuff like Like I'm a guy that orders like a hundred grand of all these fabrics, and then when you want just one roll, I'll sell you one roll for five hundred bucks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that would that would have been nice for sure. (laughs) That would have been nice. Yeah. So, well, what are your what are your and your wife's career background like? Where did you come from? Like, what were your day jobs, or like, what were you doing before this? Because I assume it probably wasn't clothing design. No, no,
1: I've, I've been a plumber. I was a plumber for 13 years. Okay. And she's a photographer.
0: Well, at least that helps. That helps. Yeah. That's, that helps that's the branding. A lot.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's it, that helped a lot while she was doing photography and she's, she's transitioned. So when we first started cold strike, it was both of us working together and now she's transitioned into doing her own thing completely different with like coaching and breath work and stuff like that. So so now Cold Strike's just solely me. She's got her business and we just, we work in the same office, but completely different things.
0: So, Are you both full-time entrepreneurs now? Because I heard you say you were a plumber.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I still do like some guiding and stuff, working for other people and working up in Idaho every fall on a nail ranch and stuff like that. But Yep for the most part, we, yeah,
0: we don't have a normal day job, man. Does that, when I'm sure it's scary as heck when you're, when you're making that decision to oh, yeah. but once you're kind of through the turmoil and the change is, does that just like the best feeling that, you know, like I did it, I made it, I'm doing this on my own. I'm my own boss. I wake up in the morning and do whatever needs to get done.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Man. And that's honestly the only way that has made me able to go hunt and do what I do. But also while I'm out there, I promote my brand with pictures while I'm hunting with the dogs and stuff. And so it, it kind of works hand in hand, but it definitely has gave me so much more freedom that I'm like, ah, I don't have to do anything today, this morning. I'm going to go hunt and then I'll come back and design whatever I need to, or do some inventory this afternoon.
0: Yeah. Well, I definitely like the the thought of like, Hey, we want to do this bigger thing right? Like we want to do this pants, but these pants, like I'm an electrical engineer. So we call that a lot of NRE. Like we got to spend a ton of money to design the thing. And that's aside from what it's going to cost. Right. And so I like the thought of saying, you know, that's the long-term plan, but I'm going to do a couple of other things to build up, to be able to do that one day. Cause I think a lot of people trip up on the fact, like, like I'll, for example, I want to, I want to design some software to manage trail cameras for like people like myself that have like 20 trail cameras and all these pictures are coming through and sure, they're great antler candy to look at, but like, I want to get to that next level where I'm putting in analytics to try to figure this stuff out and looking at weather and patterns and data and start to make predictions like where should I sit tonight? Well, mm-hmm. it's a Northwest wind 40% of the time you saw this hit list or he was coming into this plot on a Northwest wind. All right, great. I'll go sit there 40% chance. I see him type of stuff, right? Well, that's yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars to design like fully functional software. So that's, that's where a lot of people could say, Ah, I don't have the money. I can't do that myself. Just what not going to make that work. Can't do it. And they move on. Or yep. you could do like kind of what you did. It's like, well, I can't do that yet. But I could build a brand. I could make some t-shirts with catchy sayings or shirts. Like, I'm still looking at the one you're wearing right now. Like, clearly, that's a hound, but it also looks yeah. like a mountain. Like, it's, yep. a, it's a really cool shirt if you're in that space. Like, I'm sure that's a popular shirt because it's simple. You're not, like, a billboard. It's just no. so you. someone wears that shirt, and you're like, oh, man, you're another houndsman. Cool. Like, yep. hey, my name's Dustin type of a shirt. And so there's, like, stepping stones you can – do and implement to get to that final dream product or that final business, you know? Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It makes like, yeah, and that's made a big difference for us. Just building the, those those cash flow items that's helped us grow, help us get there, and get some money backed up to where we can eventually we're gonna dive back into these pants and have you know not sink us trying to do it. Yeah, for sure.
0: We're so here's a question that I. I'm always curious about. Were you, were the was like your guys's your family's journey popular on social media before you started Cold Strike? Yeah. So you had a little bit of a base going.
1: Yep. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it that journey was what what we call the hunting fam. Okay. That's that's my other Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Like that's that journey was there just us we wanted to portray a different outlook on houndsmen versus what a lot of people have as far as a stereotype. Cause I mean, you think about it back in the day, the houndsmen were all these just big gruff old guys that were ornery and you know what I mean? Just, just a whole different person than what they truly are now. And so we wanted to portray the family side of it. Like, I mean, when I'm bear hunting 99% of the time, one of my kids is with me always. And if not one, all four of them plus my wife and so it's really a family thing and also
0: <laughs> you're gonna need to get a a truck that looks like your dog box for all your no, family like start opening doors and kids are flying out <laughs> you're, you're
1: tr- oh, trust me it looks that way true <laughs> i mean i used to hunt out of a little four-door toyota tacoma for years and then they they all started coming with me as my younger ones got older and stuff and I, I had to upgrade to a Toyota Tundra Crew Max just to fit us all. So there's six of us in the cab and 15 dogs in the back. It's it's quite the show. <laughs> you gotta get like a
0: you gotta get one of those like 14 passenger vans. Oh, and it would be cool go. if you got it like four wheel drive and everything, but then put two panel doors in it. So if we open this panel door, kids pile out. And if we open that panel door, dogs <laughs> will pile out.
1: <laughs> oh, that'd be a sight for sure. Okay, but-
0: so- so you, you did have the hunting fam rocking and rolling. um, So it, I'm assuming that was a big part of, of the early launch. Like just bringing it off the ground was just having a little bit of a base to start with.
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, that helped us quite a bit. Because people knew who we were, knew what we were about, knew we were just, you know, a family that loved to hunt together
0: and they wanted to support that. Yeah, that's got to be pretty powerful. I mean, it. I get where people don't like social media, and I'm the. I'm not the greatest at it. Like, I'll go elk hunting, and I'll shoot an elk, and then I'll just be, like, so unplugged from being in the mountains a week. I don't even post it on Instagram when I get back. Like, literally, I was like, man, it's been two years, and I never posted that elk I shot in Colorado. Like, that was a yeah. cool hunt. So then I go post it. but, But, man, in today's day and age, like, I just feel like it's – it's like having a label maker, like to print yeah. your shipping label. Like it's just, you can't have a business without it.
1: No, no. Social media is huge. I mean, word of mouth is great and it will always be great, but social media just, it, it can get you your reach so much farther, especially with an online business.
0: Yeah. You know, if, if,
1: if you're doing a, a business that, that, you know, that you're selling a service in town or things like that, like it's good, but word of mouth is better. But if you're trying to reach across anywhere and everywhere,
0: Social media is definitely a must. Do you find that most of your sales are going to like Utah, Colorado, Idaho, like your neck of the woods, or are they all over the map? Uh, I get quite a
1: few around these local states, but a lot of mine goes back east. Yeah. I I would bet 50% of my business goes back to like Virginia, Wisconsin, North Carolina, all those Cause those are huge States for like bear hunting and stuff yeah. like that. But, but also there's guys back there that run uh deer with dogs. Mm. And so it's, it's getting to be, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, the houndsman in itself is small, but there's still so many different types of houndsmen that it, it, it's bigger than you really think it is, especially back there.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, then there's like coons. That's a pretty big thing. Yeah. Coon dogs. Huge. Um, and so, and you get
1: you oh, even get into like people that run feists and they do squirrels.
0: Oh yeah, like there's
1: there's squirrel dogs. There's yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't even think about those. Anything and everything, guys that run gray foxes with dogs, coyotes. The coyote everything.
0: thing was wild. How they go out yeah. and they bait like a coyote in. Yeah, the decoy
1: dogs. Yeah, but there's there's guys that actually. Oh, run... Yeah coyotes just with dogs that they run them till they bay them up our family farm
0: usually gets um asked by the local coyote crew i don't know (laughs) just a bunch of guys and like they'll run the whole block when they come through and it's like all like a mile by mile swamp and they just line up a bunch of dogs and run them um which i think is kind of cool because it kind of pushes all the coyotes out for a while at least gives the wintering deer a couple weeks off oh yeah yeah and that's
1: that's a big thing with houndsmen is, you know, some of these predators that we deal with, if it wasn't for houndsmen, you're going to have a hard time controlling them. And a lot of these, and, and it's a controversial thing, but a lot of these other guys that hunt ungulates don't quite see that picture yet. Some, not all of them, quite a few do. It's just, it's, it's big controversy when you're in the hound world, you see it both ways.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see how people that don't like hunting would see a video of hound it's chaotic. Like I'm just oh, going to say it. It's chaotic. It's pure, <laughs> there's, it's a lot chaos. Of, there's a lot of things going on there. And if you're not in the hunting and like, not even the hunting industry, if you're not in the hunting culture and you don't know what's going on, it doesn't necessarily come off the greatest when you got a bunch no. of dogs, a cornered animal, you can tell the animals freaking out. The dogs are freaking out. And then, you know, Whatever happens at the end, whether it's catch and release or or not, it's still like, yep. yeah, I can see how there's a there's a strong opening, like a huge open door for people like yourselves to 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 build a brand around like, no, that's not what it is. You know, yeah, it's not a bunch of, like you said, old grizzled white guys that are sick of people and they're like, I'm yep. just going to go live with my dogs and, you know yell at anyone that comes on their property like it's not that that's not what we're doing here yep so yeah for sure i mean I, I like i have a true
1: love for it a true love for my dogs and and so do my kids i've passed it on to them and they truly enjoy it and it's it's about the dogs to them versus like like the kill like mm-hmm. i mean you you think about it in a different way like i truly live just to go see that animal and watch my dogs catch it how many big buck hunters want to just go see that big buck walk by and take a picture and go back home. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Not a lot. Not a lot. You know, and so it's different that way, but I also, I mean, I hunt deer and elk too and I, and I get it for sure, but it's just, it's, it takes a different breed, of guy to truly enjoy it the way that we do.
0: Well, if you, if you really think about it, well, I guess you don't even have to really think about it, but well, I'm thinking about it. Like there's not a lot of difference between, uh catch-and-release houndsman and a fly fisherman. No. Because there's not a lot of fly fishermen that are eating that six-inch trout that they spent all day to catch.
1: Nope.
0: Um, and so, you know, yeah, you're not using a dog to corner the trout, but you're still, like, tricking the trout. Yeah. Right? And so, if, you know, a lot of times, I mean, the cats, I bet they have a far lower mortality rate jumping out of that tree when you're done with them than these trout do after they've been held in the air for pictures.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely just a different world and a different understanding, you know, and people, people think that like the dogs are just tools and they're just, you know, just a means to do it and you have to force them to do it. And I challenge anybody to come spend a weekend with my kids and my dogs and watch those dogs do what they do and tell me that they don't live for it and that those dogs aren't my kids' pets.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I have a dog, too, and, you know, the neighbors back home have these huge white ducks. I think they're, like, pekin ducks or whatever they're called, Um, farm ducks. Well, one of them started walking too fast away from my dog, and it's like the chase is on. Like, that's what he wants to do. Like, if something runs, he wants to chase it. And so I had to run after – my brother had to run after him to make sure he didn't eat the neighbor's ducks. (laughs) it's just instinct and yeah. and that's that's
1: what i love seeing as a dog see its natural instincts and do what it was bred to do and shine at it that's what's awesome
0: for me do you think just kind of going back to this whole houndsman culture positivity do you think that what you're doing with your hounds contacting these i mean apex predators is what they are really do you think it's giving those apex predators a better respect for humans? Oh, yeah, for so, sure. I mean, you, you look at like states like
1: California that took away hounding for bears and mountain lions. You can't do either. How many issues does that state have with bears and lions coming into town, stealing little dogs? Just like up in Washington, they just had that attack on a little girl in a park because you cannot run cats in Washington with dogs. Yeah, well, it,
0: it, yeah, that's what I was – I didn't even know that, but that's kind of what I was thinking of is, like, it just hit me. Like, I bet these cats and da, or cats and bears are really, like, hey, I don't want anything to do with those two-legged folk that run yeah. around with these little barkers. You know, I'm going to yeah, stay back I, here in the woods. It definitely, I think, gives them a
1: respect for people and dogs in general. You know, just – they're going to stay a little farther away from town, I think. You know, it, it definitely – Puts a little bit more of a fear of of town and humans versus not being able to do that.
0: Man, if that, I mean, so that's I, I'm all right there with you. I believe it. Like, I believe that's true. Imagine if you could like brand that message to the masses. Like, do you want your dog to get eaten by a black bear or killed oh, by yeah. a cat? And you're like, nope. Do you like them? Well, I don't want them to die, but I just don't want them to. Be in my yard, and it's like, well, that's what I do. I don't kill them. Yeah. I just keep them from coming in your yard.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you could bottle that up
0: and sell it, you might be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that would be a. That's like the perfect message. Like, it, like it's almost yep. so good you could partner with PETA on that message. Almost. Yep. <laughs> well, so. that's that's the hard part with like the fight that we're having
1: in our state about the lions, and that is, I mean, right now the houndsmen are on the same side as the antis. Because we're just—they're trying to take the lion numbers down so far right now that the same—we're going to these rack meetings and these wildlife board meetings, and we're fighting the same fight as the anti's because we don't want them all to die.
0: Why do they want to bring the numbers down? The deer herds
1: are down for sure, and it's there's a lot of a lot of factors that go into it. Lions are not the only reason they're down. There's a lot more.
0: Well, the major one is the. I mean, it probably has nothing to do with the 850 inches of snow you got this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that
1: coupled with tag numbers and highways and everything like that. I do
0: get it, though. If they're like, hey, we lost half our deer herd and none of the mountain lions died. So yeah. we need to yeah, do something short term. Like, let's, let's cut these mountain lion numbers down for like five years so we can get the herd back up and then we'll back out but the problem is it's like everything's a slippery slope yep you know like once you get those double allocations then that's going to be hard to take back and then oh man yeah i can i can hear i can just hear the fight from all the way over here in minnesota (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) okay i get it okay yeah i mean the whole dog thing i've only grown up around bird dogs i've never chased any big game with my dogs My dog did try to chase some deer one time, and man, did that boil my skin because, you know, it's not legal where I am, and he's not supposed to do that. Um, Yep. But I never saw dogs like a working dog. I mean, yeah, bird Mm -hmm. dog's a working dog in its own way, but when I say working dog, I mean, like, truly high level of trained dog. And we were out bow hunting in Montana this year, and there was a cowboy in our canyon, um, and he had four dogs. Only one of them was really good. He only brought one of them out. But the way that he could get that dog to run cattle oh, yeah. was phenomenal. I'm, I thought that was just in the movies. Like, I literally thought, like, yeah, <laughs> they do that in the movies. But I'm sure most cowboys don't mess around with trying to train the stupid dog to, to do what they need him to do. But he's like, no. And that if you can get your next dog before the first dog retires, like, you don't even have to change train the next dog. It just picks it up from the first dog makes a big difference yeah well i've heard you talk about that with dan how you're like yeah i have like you know two or three senior expert dogs that are probably close to retirement and then i got like a whole bunch of workers and then i've always got like a couple new ones in the mix and i my my the only thing i want the new ones to do is run as close as they can to the experienced ones
1: yep exactly they, those old dogs can teach those young pups more than i ever could they'll learn more from them in one season than i could teach them in three years
0: So how much of the training is you formally doing like a drill with your pup on like a fake tree scenario in the backyard versus just letting them be with the older dogs on real cats?
1: When I first started it, there was a lot of me working with them all, a lot of the time doing drags, doing scent drags, hanging pelts in a tree, stuff like that. But as I've got more into it and established more dogs, now I just let that pup be a pup till he decides he wants to hunt. And, Mm. and I, I take them with me and, you know, i let them get to a certain age or at least a certain size where I know that they can at least handle the run. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, whatever we're after, but once they've shown that they can do that, I'll just turn them loose with the big dogs. And if they decide to go, they go, if not, they stay by me and I know they're not ready yet. Mm. And once, and once like the dogs, if we're running lions, if I kick out six dogs and they go catch this lion and that pup didn't want to go, I'll walk it with me into the tree and then he'll get to see that part of it oh and then he might catch it he might catch a glimpse of that lion in the tree if it moves or whatever and that might light the fire and if it you know if that does it great next time he'll probably go if not he might just might not be mature enough and i'll just keep trying yeah and that's that's mainly other than that all i do with them when they're younger is let them be pups but you teach them how to handle yeah and that's a that's a big thing with having four kids is those pups get handled so much when
0: they're at my place that they, they, they've they got it down by the time it's time for me to take them and go teach them something. Are you are the, are your dogs inside dogs? I can't imagine they're inside dogs.
1: No, no, they this are not. Just... I got
0: too many for that. Yeah, too many. That's I feel like that's a problem when you get, like, one, two, yeah, sure, three is <laughs> starting to be a crowd, and then after, like, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine bringing puppies into that mix, too, because they just don't, they keep the energy up and then all the dogs are energized. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. No, all my dogs are outside dogs. And I, I mean, some, we'll see how it happens with this older one that I have. He's getting close to retirement and we'll see if the wife will let him retire inside or if he'll stay outside, but I'll bet he'll probably just stay outside, but I still take him and go like that, but he's definitely starting to slow down a little bit, but he's earned his right to stay here.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's the tough that's a tough season in a dog's life for the for the owner. I mean, I've had yep. we've retired. I've been old enough to remember retiring both of my childhood dogs and it sucks. And then Oh yeah. and then uh I feel like that's why I just want to start the second one. <laughs> I want to I want to start <laughs> the next one so there's not like a gap. <laughs> yep. But But yeah. So so back we kind of I I'm just naturally curious about everything. So we drifted <laughs> all the way into the actual hounds the run the hounds but on the back on the Cold Strike side of the of the conversation where, do you have like this ultimate goal beyond the pants that you would love to see Cold Strike turn into or are you thinking more so like I just want a lifestyle brand? Um, And not trying to like speak down on that, but just like, no, what I want is a lifestyle brand that sells hats and shirts and builds more of a community rather than all these different products that are super specific and super, um, you know, detailed for running hounds. Mm -hmm. I think eventually
1: I wouldn't (laughs) mind dabbling into some of the more specific products, but for right now, I just, I just love having something that, Makes us live comfortably, but also gives me the freedom to enjoy what I want to do and promote it. How I would love, how I love to promote it. You know, I mean, when you see Cold Strike, most of the time in the pictures, it's me or my kids or some friends or whatever, and my wife, just because she always has the camera. But it's just, it's just like, like I said, it's it's more on the smaller version that I just want to build a community and people know know who we are, know what we're about, and if they want to buy from us based on that, that's great. You know, anyone can go buy a t-shirt, a t-shirt's a t-shirt, whatever you put on it makes the person like it. That's great. But my t-shirt, as far as a t-shirt, isn't any better than the next guy's. Yeah. It's just what I have on it that makes it specific to houndsmen that makes them want to buy it. So same with
0: hats, everything like that. Yeah. I do think that's pretty powerful though, because you need like every guy in the, in the outdoors needs a shirt every day. And most of them wear a hat every day. And yep. so it's like, you need a bunch of shirts anyway. And so everyone just would rather wear something that's closer to them, that says something about them. Right. Yeah. because they, they want exactly. to be the hero of their own story. So they want to walk around with that shirt you got on and people are like, what, what's going on there? And you're like, Oh, I'm a houndsman. Like I, I've got a bunch yep. of these dogs that are trained to track game and tree game. Yep. You know, like rather than just wearing a Haynes or a Tommy Hilfiger logo, like what, what's that going to do for you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, that guy shops at Target. (laughs) Something like, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Like that versus, you know, and like this last weekend, my boy and I were up, just us. We just did a boys trip up and went and caught some bears. And I was talking to him about designing some t-shirts. And we just did a, a contest on our social media for like a new design just to be put on the front of the shirt. And we just finished that up and had some pretty awesome submissions that we put up for vote on social media, but I was talking to him. I was like, what should we put on the back? But me and you will figure it out together. And so he's like, well, we're hunting bears. So how about like dump the box, you know? And that's what happens. Like when we get a bear started and a few dogs have taken off on it, then it's like, all right, they got it going. We're just going to unleash chaos and send eight more dogs down. <laughs> this bear oh, yeah. And so that's what we call dumping the box. And so we shortened it to, you know, dumping boxes. And so, and then I was like, well, what else should we do? And my little boy being the smart aleck that he is, he's nine. He goes, well, how about cracking beers, dad? <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, we'll put it on there. I said, well, how about we put cracking cold ones? Cause everybody likes a cold drink, but it'll still mean beer to you. And he goes, okay. And then I said, well, what, how about if the last one we just put catching bears? And he says that's great. So we're gonna have those three phrases on the back of it with a new design on the front. And it was just something that me and my boy had a good time designing while we were up hunting bears. And that's that's to me what what Cold Strike is about. It's family. It's enjoying the mountains, enjoying the dogs, but just all of that
0: together. So are your is the nine year old is he the on the old end is he in the middle is he on the young end
1: he is so i have four kids and he is my third kid so he's not the youngest but close okay so he, he he lives in a house full of women i have three girls and one boy so oh so it's, you
0: guys are teamed up <laughs> Yep. <laughs> okay so does maybe there's differences between the boy and the three girls but do any of the kids like are they getting into it in like the business and the cold strike or do they like do you see a little entrepreneur fire going in any of them
1: in my second girl yes she's actually going to start learning a different uh, way to do an online store and she's going to try and start her own and and it might not be based around hounds or clothes or anything but she's going to she's already been designing some t-shirt designs on Canva and yeah. getting ready she's going to start that and just i mean she's 13 and she's going to be an entrepreneur already and i think that just comes from mainly my wife my wife's push for that for her to do it herself but my wife becoming one made me become one, and now we're putting that onto our children. And it's just it's a pretty cool process.
0: Yeah, I would love to. I think about a lot of things I'm excited for when it comes to having kids one day, but we don't have any yet. We just got married in January, so I say none yet. But like we just started... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got time. Yeah, we got time. But I've always thought like, man, it'd be so cool if like you're just sitting there doing something, and a little one walks and you're like, Dad, I want to sell this. Like I want to, yeah, I want to, you know, it's like, all right, let's go. Like, what do you think? Like, what do you want to do? You know, like, I don't know what she meant by I'm going to design a new online commerce. Like, you, is she just going to pick a different Shopify site than you have? What? or
1: Well, it'll be one that like, she won't have to hold in-house inventory. One that she can kind of just design
0: and then. a different Oh, one of the drop shipping sentences. stuff.
1: Yeah. A drop ship. That's, yeah, like, that's the word I like was looking for.
0: Print fly. Printful. Yeah. yeah. Printful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, why would do you
1: Do you do that now? I use it on some. Yep. I have some inventory in-house, but I think the more we go just to get some more designs out there, I'm definitely going to start
0: to use it more for sure. Use it. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a good strategy to to launch new stuff with that. So now you don't have to dump a bunch of money in it to begin with, and you don't know if it's going to like really hit the market fit. So it's like, and if it it
1: starts to do well, then I could bring some inventory in. And it might work out that it just works so well that I'll start to liquidate our in house inventory, except for the items that I can't, and then go from there. And that definitely makes it a little more or less hands on for me and more time to. I see both sides of it. Like, it's it's hard. I like, and that's one thing I struggled with my. You like like the margin, though? I do. (laughs) Yeah. I like the margin, but also I like, I feel like cold strikes like me as a brand and i almost feel like i'm cheating when i'm not the one doing the work to send it to them you know what i mean because a lot of times when people buy they're they're buying the person with it yeah and and it feels it feels a little disconnection there yeah but i mean we'll every goes.
0: every beard oil order that i get like i hand sign the the um yeah what's the thing the packing list i fold yep. it up and i hand sign it thank you brian You know, every one of them. And so I get it. Like, that's where I'm torn. Like, it's almost like this weird thing where you, when you launch a shirt and I did it the absolute wrong way, but you launch a shirt and you're like, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't want to spend a ton of money. It's like small, medium, large, extra large, double, extra large, triple. Like, are we going to do 4X or not? By the time you
1: order four of those in every shirt, (laughs) you've got a pile of shirts.
0: Yeah. And 4XLs is probably not enough four forexes yeah. you'll never sell so <laughs> but,
1: but you can never predict that that's what's hard. right like I, i've i tried i'm like oh larges like i'm a large these all people are going to buy larges no it's extra larges that have sold in that shirt and then in this shirt it's smalls and i'm like I, it, it's hard to gauge that and that's what makes it with those drop ships is you're never going to run out of inventory no you're, you don't you don't run out of inventory and people have to wait two months for you to buy get them printed, get them back, make sure the quality is good, and then get it back up on the site. So it definitely it has its its pros and cons, and I'm still trying to figure out whether the pros outweigh the cons for me right now.
0: Yeah, it's tough because at first, like, the printful, like, if I'm going to – I decided um, – so I'll just tell you the way I did it wrong. So I decided I started this bull elk beard oil business, and I wanted it to stand for something you know, more of a lifestyle thing and like be out front. So I'm like, Oh, you know, it could be cool if I could arrange all these, because I had like a decent TikTok following. I had like 15,000 at the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I could get like all these people that I kind of know with like a hundred thousand, 200,000, what all these followers and pull them all together behind this fundraising cause. And the thought was going to be more like just donations. Like, Hey, we're going to raise as much money as we can. And then we're going to go buy a piece of land out in the West. That mm. is going to open up landlocked public. Like, that's would be a cool thing. And so I'm like, all right, we'll sell oh, okay. T-shirts. Yeah. We'll do all this stuff. And I'm thinking, like, man, if I get, like, 200,000 combined followers and everyone sent a dollar, like, we could buy it. Oh, yeah. We'd partner that with some agency that's got some funding and it'd be done. And so I said, I'm going to do these T-shirts. So I bought a vinyl cutter and I bought a heat press. And I was going to make these shirts myself. Well, guess which month is public lands month? September
1: Guess what month I had
0: a 10 day elk hunt In (laughs) September And so I'm up till like 2am Every night when I'm home Peeling vinyl and making my own heat press shirts To get all these orders out And and oh my god was it a disaster some of the shirts peeled and then i'd replace those and i decided never again am i doing a fun t-shirt fundraiser making my own shirts in the month of september we're going to have to move yep. public lands month to like july <laughs> and so, <laughs> but that opened my eyes to like okay now i have the vinyl cutter and i have the heat press so i think i'm going to do my own like r and d shirts yep so when i come up with an idea i'll just make that one myself and wear it and if people start liking it and wanting it then I'll probably start with, like, the printful, like you said. Like, let's just ease into this. But the, it's almost this – that you hit this point where you could you could make two very logical decisions. You, yeah. And for the same reason, it's like we're so we're selling so many of these things. Like, I want nothing to do with it anymore. I'm yeah. just going to drop ship all these because of the time. On the other hand, yeah. you're like, we're doing so many of these things. I could get a killer margin if I ordered yeah. enough of them and I have enough volume to – to float the boat right I mean I could buy 50 100 shirts and now I'm selling them I mean I don't know what you pay but I mean you can pretty much get down to like a seven dollar cost oh, on yeah. a on a simple t-shirt you know one print and yep. you sell it for 20 bucks or 25 bucks it's like you're not getting that margin with the printful and the numbers, you're like, man, it's a huge difference. Like, it's a huge swing. And so I don't know which one's the best. I guess I haven't been there yet, but I could see a lot. If you said you went either way, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I'd probably do the same thing. And then you go the other way, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense too.
1: <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and I think the biggest benefit to something like Printful versus, you know, doing an in-house is the options for more designs and not holding inventory, but also the option of time. Yeah, You know, t- time is this one thing in this world you cannot get back. So you think about it. You sell 100 shirts and make $5 off of them from Printful or you sell 100 shirts at home and make $10. So you double your profits, but you spend all that time packing them, all that time dealing with them that you could have been out. The way I look at it, the way I could have been out with my kids doing what I love.
0: Yeah. I wonder if the, <clears throat> I wonder if the true thing is like, just offboard it until you can, like, onboard a person.
1: Yep. Until you can, until you have, uh, an employee. you know, the revenue and the right. space and the employee to handle it. And then, and if I could do that, that'd be great because then I'm employing another person that I can make their life better, give them a job mm-hmm. and pass it on that way. But also, you know, it, it's time too. But, and that's, that's a big thing right now is, you know, time for me. Because I want to I want to live with my kids and spend time with my kids while I can, because my oldest is 16 and she's already one foot out the door. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know,
0: literally, though, I bet she's already starting to think about like what she's doing after high school, whether that's college, which college doing campus visits or, you know, what, you know, what am I going to do? Like, you got to start making some plans at 16.
1: she's she's moving to montana and working on a cattle ranch is what she's decided so far
0: (laughs) so hey i gotta i I know a couple ranches if she needs some (laughs) some contacts (laughs) yeah and and, then that's just and if that's
1: what she wants to do i'm great i'm happy with her she just started her first job this week and she's learning what working the a normal job working for someone else besides mom and dad is and we'll see how that goes for her but yeah
0: yeah, yeah, that's the thing about life. You can't, like you said, that you can't get more time, and I think that's something you got to keep in mind when you start these business ventures. Like, is this getting me closer to my goal, or is it getting me farther away from my goal? Like, my goal was to hunt and fish for a living, and all of a sudden I don't hunt anymore because I'm busy making these T-shirts. That's exactly right. You work a
1: normal day job, and then you come home and work another job.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then there is no more hunting and fishing. So I think that's kind of – got to find – I think you just got to be creative. You got to yep. be innovative on how can I do both? How can I figure out how to do this brand but also keep doing what I love? And like you said, like, I just go hunting. And then while we're out there, my wife knows how to run a camera, so we take pictures. Like, anyone can learn how to run a camera. You might not be as good as, as Mrs. Clark with a camera, but yep. you'll be good enough to, to brand your, your business exactly yeah you know and, and the
1: way anymore i mean the way these cell phones are they take almost as good a picture unless you're going to blow it up big but for a website or a small instagram post oh or yeah facebook you know they they work great and you can do it that way we still pack the big camera it doesn't always get brought out of the truck sometimes it gets forgotten which it, it happens but you know it's it's definitely a big plus for us because i mean while i'm out hunting i'm doing my R and D I'm creating marketing pictures. You know, we're creating a brand and doing that while we're doing what we love. And that's one thing that was nice with the niche market that we chose is it, it enabled us to do that.
0: Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I think I steal this from Gary Vaynerchuk all the time, but quantity over quality, like when it comes to social media, just put it out there and let, let yeah. your followers tell you what you like, what they like, but quality is subjective and quantity isn't. Yep. Like if you post 10 times a day, something's going to happen. You're either going to figure out something that works, you're going to figure out what doesn't work, or, or you're just going to grow. Like something's going to happen yeah. if you just keep at it. If you Especially only post cool. one time and you spend all day on it, but it just didn't hit, now you don't really know what the problem was. Yep, exactly. And that's like
1: how it works with like TikTok. Like you can have the stupidest video go viral and then you'll spend hours on another one and it gets like, One thousand views, and and the one that's literally just like my dogs, like I was videoing because I knew a bear crossed the road, so I held my phone up and was videoing my dogs as I was driving so I could catch them rigging the bear. So what what rigging a bear is is they ride on top of the truck or on top of the dog box, I should say, and we just drive roads and they'll they'll bark when they smell a bear. Oh, and so. So I knew it was coming. So I just put my truck up and was, or my phone up and was videoing the dogs as I was driving. It's like a six-second video, and it just went on TikTok because all it is is four dogs sitting there and they bark for five seconds and I turn it off. (laughs) Yeah, but I hear you. It's nuts, like everything like that. And I try to promote our brand on TikTok and that too, but it's more of a a lifestyle thing too. But people know who we are and, and see the dogs and the kids and stuff on it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, some of, I think all of my most viral TikToks have all been with the least amount of work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just a stupid video. You put some good music to and. Like I'll hear a
0: song. A lot of times it's the opposite. I'll hear a sound bite and I'm like, oh, this, I could turn this into a really hilarious. Yeah. Like, like, um, thing. Like the, I don't, I can't remember the, the, um, it was a Michael Scott line, and, he, and it was from The Office, and it was when they did the fire scene. I don't know if mm-hmm. you watched The Office, but... And it's like, nobody panic, nobody panic, and everyone's panicking. And I'm like, I did it when, like, a big buck enters for the first time. You're trying to figure out your bow, your arrow falls off, you're trying to grab oh, another... Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that'd be funny. I spent, like, two minutes on it and posted it, and it got, like, 300,000 views. And, and oh, so yeah. I, I feel that. I do think that there's something about it. But I was going to ask you, are you, have you, have you dabbled with... So I assume you have the Hunting Fam as your main TikTok page, but have you created it, a Cold Strike page and got onto TikTok shop?
1: I I have not. I'm gonna start dabbling with that. So the Hunting Fam and it's actually a combined one on TikTok. It's Hunting Fam and Cold Strike. So like okay. my my logo on there is Cold Strike, but it's and it's really just under my name. Yeah. But the links all go to Cold Strike and stuff for that. So it's mainly more, it started out as a hunting fan one, and then I kind of switched it over to Cold Strike. Yeah. So I promote Cold Strike on there a lot, but I haven't dabbled in the TikTok shop yet. I need to start messing with that.
0: Yeah, because I've had Eric Clark from the OKS Hunter, if you've heard of that, out of Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. and he's been doing a lot of stuff and he's been having really good results with TikTok ad campaigns, all kinds of ad campaigns. I mean, I think he's in marketing, digital marketing for his day job. So that kind of helps. He gets Mm -hmm. more experience and exposure. But just figuring out like your product economics and looking at all these data points like, you know, what's your average cost of a new customer? What's your average margin? Is it is it positive where we can just do this over and over again, or is it under? So we now we have to increase the lifetime value of a customer and get like multiple orders to make up for that first one if we're advertising. But he just hit the nail on the head. He's like, man, I've been doing these and like, I'll test them out. And he's like, Tick, he's been having a lot of good success with TikTok. So it's something that I need to look at too. I mean, we just moved in and bought a house and a farm and it's just been endless work. So I've been, I've been way behind on, on a, the beard oil stuff. I found out the hard way that if you do one thing versus two things, it's like three times as much work to do two things. Yep. And I have like five things going on. (laughs) Oh yeah.
1: So. Yep. No, I understand that. And honestly, TikTok has been probably the best for my business. Yes. I would say probably over 50% of my business comes from TikTok.
0: Yeah. I think so too. As much as I'm not a huge fan of the Chinese government. No. No. it's but, it works so I, I just keep kind of using it with my head down. But yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It, it does. It is pretty cool. Um, I was going to ask you if you if you um I I wanted to get this before I forget. But have you met the Houndsman XP guys?
1: I haven't met them in person, but I do know them. Yeah, oh. I've talked to him. Talked yeah. to him on the phone a few times. Cool. Yep.
0: Yeah, I was thinking because they're on the same network as the Western rookie. And they're one of the oldest standing shows. And I saw it the other day and I'm like, Houndsman XP really out of all these podcasts, Houndsman XP is like one of the number one ones on our, on our, um, on our network. And I don't know if it's because like they actually have that many Houndsmen listening to it, or is it just a topic where so many people are interested in it?
1: And I think it's probably a lot of both to be honest, but they, they definitely are probably the biggest Hound podcast out there. And I've been on a few others, you know, I, I mean, I've, a couple hound podcasts and I've done, you know, I did the one for their Western rookie and then I did mm-hmm. one for Dan on his nomadic outdoorsman one too. But, and I think I just did one with Levi Carey on, uh, Oh, I gotta remember what his is pulling, pulling feathers podcast. Mm. I did one with him just a little while ago, but yeah, they, they definitely are very, very good for houndsmen and what they promote. They promote the sport a lot. They promote education about it and things like that as well. It's, yeah. It's, it's been a great podcast for Houndsman.
0: Yeah, I think you should. I think you should make a shirt that's like keeping cats out of your garden. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Or keeping bears out of your trash can since nineteen ninety two, whatever it is. S- S- saving lap dogs since 03. <laughs> yeah, that would be a great <laughs> with a bear in a tree, and like no yeah. one would get it, but they'd ask you about it, and you're like, "What do you mean oh, saving yeah. lap dogs?" You're like, "Well, I mean." what we do keeps bears out of the city They because they become a little more afraid of humans. Yep. I bet that would be a great, I bet that would just, Oh man, that'd be a cool shirt. You can have that idea for free. Yeah. Sounds good. Next <laughs> one, next one you can charge me for. it. <laughs> well, you might want to be careful because the next one might not be worth anything. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, man, it's been a great podcast. Kind of cool. Just hearing a business and a lifestyle that's just foreign to me. I've never done anything like it and it's super interesting, but I appreciate you coming on here, sharing a little bit about your family, sharing a little bit about your passion, sharing a little bit about Cold Strike. Oh, you're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. It's been a great time. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get back to your family. You got I'm sure your wife's looking for her partner for for uh some backup and support by now. So <laughs> <laughs> it's getting to be about that time. <laughs> yeah. So I'll let you I'll let you skedaddle before we leave though, give uh do the quick rundown of where folks can find uh, find you and the family content where they can go to get the cold strike gear and all that.
1: Yeah, so on social media, if you look up the Hunting Fam or Cold Strike Gear on Instagram, Facebook, you'll find us on TikTok. It's either under uh cold strike gear or dustin clark you'll find me and then if you want to look at our website it's coldstrikegear.com and that'll that'll get you there you can reach out to me if you need something that's not there or whatever and we'll get you taken care of
0: awesome well thank you for being here dustin and thank you for listening folks